Please take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians. Galatians, we started down this road of Galatians, closing out this year with the gospel, which is most appropriate, uh, even most appropriate in what's happening in our world today with Israel, with things taking place. This is what our world needs. This is the only thing that will bring peace is the great news of Jesus Christ. That's how there's freedom, that's how there's liberty, that's how there's joy, it's found in Jesus alone. Live in gospel freedom, Galatians. In that Bible chair in front of you, if you need to go to that Bible, 146, new, uh, starting new numbering of the New Testament, page 146 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you. 146 to 147, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> we're actually going to do verses, verse 11 of chapter 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, a large chunk, but uh, much needed for us to look at together collectively. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, to chapter 2, verse 10. Let me read. <clears throat> Galatians 1, 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and return once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me, chapter two. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up. And I laid to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a, a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so the truth of the gospel might remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, well, they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. Verse 7, 
But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. When I was a kid, I used to watch uh, The Three Stooges, black and white. Probably explains a lot, doesn't it? Took you a while to get that right, okay. There's this one episode in The Three Stooges. They're in a courtroom. And Curly, he's told to take off his hat. His cane is in his left hand. Took off his hat. Then raised his right hand, so he put his hat back on. And put his left hand on the Bible. So he put his left hand on the Bible. Put his cane in his right hand. But then he's told to take off his hat. So he took off his hat. Raise his right hand. Put your right hand on the Bible. Take off your hat. So it did going back. And it's pretty funny. So You've probably seen that episode. Anyone who's like uh, 50 and over, you've probably seen that. All of you like 50 and under, you're like, what are you talking about? The three stooges. My life motto, of course. Anyways, no, 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 I digress. But the Bible is used in court as a way to say that that person is telling the truth. You tell them the whole truth, nothing but truth, and all the truth, and nothing but truth, the guy would say in that Three Stooges episode. So she or he swears on the Bible because it is the truth, the highest truth, the perfect justice. As God is my witness... So I put your hand in the Bible. Because the Bible represents God. It's not from man. That's why you do that. So this gospel message represents God. This gospel message is from God. It's divine. As we're trucking through the book of Galatians, we started that last week, live in gospel freedom, and today we're going to see this news is divine. This news is from God. This gospel freedom news is divine. It's from God. We didn't come up with this. Paul didn't come up with this. Uh, Twelve guys didn't get together and say, let's come up with this great idea. No, that's not what happened. And and here's the, the bulk of what we preach, this news, We're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So live in this gospel freedom. You can be justified. You can be made right with God. It's it's grace. It's by His grace. You You don't add anything. You don't contribute anything. It's through trusting Jesus alone who came, died, and rose from the dead. So you can be free. You can live in this gospel freedom. This is the news that's divine. We're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So live in this gospel freedom. So this news is divine. It it, it is God-given and grace-driven. It's God-given, 
and grace-driven. God is the one who gave this message, and it's a message driven by His grace alone. So it is of God and by grace. And you, some of you, most of you, will probably truly identify with this message in this way. When God's grace came to you in the gospel, God did a huge overhaul and change in your life. His grace broke in, right? And opened your eyes. And, and all the credit is, is to God. It's, it's not to you. It's not because you were smarter. It's not because you're educated or uneducated or you were at the right time. That's it. No, it's all of God. He gets all the credit. So it's God-given and grace-driven. So we have no need to be ashamed, fearful, deterred, anxious, or embarrassed by this news of freedom. We can proclaim it boldly knowing that those who disagree with us, they disagree with God. They disagree with God. But also something else. No need not just to be ashamed, fearful, deterred, anxious, or embarrassed. But also under this gospel freedom, we are one. There's unity in the gospel there's unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ can only be found in Christ in the truth of the gospel. So we're going to truck our way through this large section of Galatians. And I do want to make mention at the get-go, chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 is, is really key to understanding uh, really the rest of the of the epistle of this letter to the Galatian churches. But specifically today, it's key for you to understand chapter 1, verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 10. It's those two verses, 11 and 12. We'll look at it in a second. Let's, let's, let me give you some points that way you're, you're tracking with me. This gospel freedom news is divine. It's divine. It's God-given and grace-driven. Paul emphasized the gospel is divine origin is of God, his free, sovereign, loving grace. So notice what he says. He, he told them this gospel, don't get distorted by those who are preaching some other gospel is not some other gospel. This is what the gospel is and he goes right here, chapter one, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was it taught, nor was I taught it, but through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So notice, his gospel was not from men. So it must not be altered any way. We talked about this last week. Notice the three phrases that emphasize this truth. It's not according to man. It's not received from man. It wasn't taught to him by man. The gospel was not taught to him. He didn't sit on the feet of teachers who explained the vital truths of the gospel. This is key. He's trying to say it's God-given. Paul revealed, excuse me, God revealed Jesus Christ to Paul. It was revealed to him. It was from God the Father who revealed Jesus to Paul. That's what he says here. Through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
This connects us to the appearance of the resurrected Christ on the Damascus Road, talked about in Acts chapter 9. Now from these two verses, he launches into what he means by this. He's going to explain this now. How it's God-given and it's driven by grace. So, God-given and grace-driven. How so? First, look at my former way of life, Paul says. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Look at my former way of life. Look at how I used to be. Look at verse 13. For, here's the reason. You've heard of my former life of, uh, manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So in the past, Paul was a faithful and zealot Pharisee who persecuted the church. Yet this remarkable change showed God's remarkable grace. So the works of the law to gain acceptance with God, they're meaningless. As far as Paul was concerned, you don't need man's approval. Before all this though, he was antithetical and hostile toward the gospel. Look at my former way of life. I used to persecute the church. Uh, Paul had a hatred of the gospel and God's church. It was beyond measure, he says, savagely, violently. Off the charts, man. He thought he was doing God's service. He says, I tried to destroy it. So hatred was his, so deep was his hatred for God's church that with all his heart he persecuted them to destroy them. And then look at what he says, verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, be more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He progressed in his Pharisaic zeal. As a Pharisee, the Pharisees, they made laws to keep the law. They made laws to keep the laws, to keep the laws, to keep the law, to keep the law. Laws upon laws upon laws upon laws. And he was committed to the traditions of his fathers. So trying to destroy and wipe out the church, and then he's progressing in the Jewish oral law. He, he was fully committed to persecuting Christians and exterminating the church. He was fully committed to being a better Pharisee than anyone else, even the ones who were attacking the gospel that he will address, the Judaizers, way better than them. So, so this, this shows his dire, drastic, desperate, critical, extreme need for a change, a grace-driven change, you see? Only God's gracious intervention could explain this revolution in Paul's life because he says, look at my former way of life. There's no way that this is of men. There's no way that I came up with this on my own. And that's true, not just Paul, but even of us. We were all God-haters until the revolutionary change of God's grace in us by His Spirit. Maybe you remember, maybe somebody gave you the gospel and gave you the gospel, maybe they gave you the gospel five billion times and there was that one time where you heard it and all of a sudden it just it clicked. And you went, wait a second. 
wait a second, wait, wait a second, God should judge me, I should be condemned. And then you read the Bible and you're reading how Jesus dies for sinners in their place as their substitute. And we say, wait a second, you mean, wait, he died for my sin and it all just makes sense. And then everything, it just clicks. You go, wait, Jesus, I want to turn from my sin. I want to put my trust in you. You, you probably experienced that. Revolutionary change of God's grace in us. That's what happened to Paul. See, this is why it's not of men. Paul's point is it's God given and grace driven. How so? He says, Look at my former way of life. Look at this. I used to persecute the church, I hated Christians. And also, how else? Look at God's gracious change in me. Now he says, This is what I was. Now look at the change. Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 and chapter, tw- and chapter uh, 1, verse 22 to 24. Look at verse 15. But here's God's good pleasure. God showed sovereign kindness and love to this terrible, terrible, awful jerk of a guy when he who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He set him apart, marked him before birth. Like Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He called him by grace alone. Revealed, God's Son was revealed to Paul. He gloried in the gospel, proclaiming triumphant grace in contrast to his former evil life. I mean, who, who Paul was and what he did to God's church made his call to this grace even more remarkable. This is why he totally loved the gospel. This is why. In sovereign freedom, God displayed his awesome grace to Paul. Look at my former way of life, and and now look at his gracious change in me. A man who hated the church, loved his Pharisaic traditions, he's highlighting the absolute sovereignty and good pleasure, knows pleased, God was pleased, the good pleasure of God in his life. And then notice what he says, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This was willed by God himself that Paul, even before he was born, would preach to the Gentiles this gospel of grace, which he tried to destroy. He was specifically marked out by God to be this apostle. I tell you, Anyone who comes to God comes to Him because of God's initiating sovereign free grace. We did not choose God, God chose us. That, that is why we choose Him. That order is vital. So no human, no human can persuade another human to embrace this grace-driven news of Jesus. It needs to be an act of God's grace. That's why I say it's grace-driven. It's grace-driven. Paul changed from a man who, who breathed murderous threats against Jesus' body to breathing praises when he thinks of God's love for him and Jesus. Go to verse 22. You see this, um, this hallmark, this emphasized again. And I was... <laughs> I was unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. 
This guy who wants to persecute us, he's preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. The, remember the guy who used to kill us? Can you just imagine this? Okay, so you remember that guy who was like, he's like crazy, freaky, psycho dude? Oh, yeah, I remember him. He's like preaching the gospel. No, yes, no, yes, really? Yes. That's what I say. No, no way. Yes, it's the same guy. Can you imagine that conversation people are having? This is a guy who once tried to destroy us. Now he's preaching this gospel. In verse 24, and they were glorifying God because of me. They didn't see his face. And he was not dependent upon them for this news that he was preaching. But all they heard that the one who hated this news of grace and tried to destroy this news of grace, he became a recipient of this grace. And because of his allegiance to this news of grace, he defended it showing his first and foremost concern to sovereign grace in his life. That was his priority. Not really his apostolic authority. It was the priority of grace. So, Jewish Christians who heard of this great display of God's grace in Paul could do nothing but glorify God. Wow, well, praise God. Praise God. There's, There's no other explanation, right? Paul was a devoted Pharisee, pursuing Judaism far beyond others. He had no love for Jesus, no love for his followers, persecuted God's church, thought he was serving God. Yet from this huge error, he shifted to total reliance upon God's grace in Christ. God displayed his power, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his grace, his love, his mercy, and saving this wretched, relentless jerk persecutor of his people transforming him into a powerful spokesman of this divine news so again he's saying it's it's god-given grace-driven look look at my former way of life look at god's gracious change in me here's a third of how this is god-given and grace-driven look at god's gracious revelation because he says in verse 16 to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. So he did not go visit the apostles at the first. He didn't consent with any person. He didn't consult with any person flesh and blood, he says. This accentuates that this news flows from God. This news is God-given. That's his point. He insisted upon the God origin of this news. God revealed this to me. Free from the Jewish community. Free from any type of influence. And then he says in verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go there. Uh, Those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. He went to the regions surrounding Damascus, Arabia, The apostles were not around. Peter, James, John. So they did not give some hearty approval of Paul preaching what he was supposed to preach. This was all done by God's guidance. And look at what he says in verse 18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas Peter. I stayed with him 15 days. 
This was his first visit to Jerusalem where he stayed for a short 15 days from Acts chapter 9. But he only met with Peter or Cephas. And then he says, uh, verse 19, I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He did not come under the influence of the other apostles. No instruction. Yet notice he's saying he was equal to them. And then he, he gives a solemn oath, verse 20. Now what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. He gave this solemn oath before God. He was telling the truth. Paul took what he was saying very seriously because the truth of the gospel that saved him was at stake. And then here, verse 21, then I went into regions of Syria and Cilicia that was Tarshish. These regions were not Jerusalem. And that's important because he's trying to say, I'm not dependent upon the apostles or the believers of Jerusalem. It's revealed by God. So this news that's driven by grace, it's not some concept that Paul came up with. Oh, you're, you're, you're disagreeing with the, with the apostles. With, we're going to see this in a moment. With those of high reputation. <laughs> you're, you're disagreeing with them. Paul's saying no. It was revealed to me by God. His life and preaching showed a new and different relationship with God that's why the reason he didn't deviate at all. Because of God's sovereign grace that was shown in his life, he defends this news with his apostolic authority. He did not need man's approval for the news that was supernaturally given him by grace. I mean, think about it. If this news of grace needed approval by leaders of Jewish Christianity, then guess what? The Judaizers may be right. But if this news and mission that he was given was by revelation, standing independent of Jewish leadership, then it truly is of grace with no need for a supplement. Paul demonstrated that the leadership of Jerusalem preached and approved of the same gospel he proclaimed. We're going to see that in a moment, more emphasized in chapter 2. So this news is God-given, grace-driven. It does not need human validation. So here he's saying, this is God-given, it's grace-driven. Look at my former way of life. Look, look at how my life has changed. Look at the revelation given to me. So, so, there's no need for human approval. That would break into chapter two. Look at verse one and two. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. And it was because of revelation that I went up and I laid before them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but in private to those who have reputation for fear that I might be, right, might be running or had run in vain. Paul's point is his gospel was independent of any type of human approval. After 14 years, Barnabas picked up Paul. Neither in this time nor the previous time did Paul receive his authority from the apostles. Barnabas and Titus came with him. And he came not because he was called to account for this nonsense. That's not why he came. Notice he says, God said, revelation. And I think the New American Standard translates this here in verse two. I was, it was because of a revelation I went up and I submitted to them the gospel. Probably a better translation, which I did it for you when I was reading, laid before them. 
the idea is not that Paul submitted it to them for their approval. That's not the idea. But he humbly laid it before them in a private meeting with no lack of confidence. And I believe this is not referred to the Council of Jerusalem. Some take this view. I think this is something else. It seems that Paul spoke about his famine visit to Jerusalem from Acts chapter 11. But here, this would hit the Judaizers hard because it would show their distortion that Paul submitted his erroneous teaching to the apostles. No, see, his point was, this gospel preached by Paul was not from men, but from God. It needed no authorization from these Jerusalem leaders or anyone else. And notice this word where he gives in uh, the middle of verse two, I did it in private to those who were of reputation, Paul was not targeting these, I'll call them the three big guns, uh, James, Peter, and John. He's not being disrespectful here. He's saying this because of the Judaizers. And I believe the Judaizers, they were the ones who were saying, these three were of reputation. They have a name. They were the, the, the three big guns. That's how they, they viewed them. And that's why Paul spoke to them privately, James, Peter, and John. And it all will come to a head in Acts chapter 15. But notice what he says here at the end of verse 2. For fear, actually, actually better would be to make sure that I might be running or had run in vain. So what's his point? His work for spreading the gospel of grace among the Gentiles would be in danger if the Judaizers were approved and given a thumbs up. Paul preaching this gospel free grace did not depend upon any human leadership in Jerusalem, not even from the big three. So Paul preaching this gospel of grace apart from the works of law, circumcision, it didn't need a supplement. Both Jew and Gentile were saved by grace alone, but the Judaizers were attempting to mingle grace and works. Grace plus circumcision, grace plus law. So, he's saying it's God-given and grace-driven. Look at my former way of life. Look at the change that God has done. Look at this revelation. So it needs no human approval. Why? Because there is one gospel with Jew and Gentile. Look at chapter two, verse three. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Titus was kind of like the, the guinea pig, if you will. What will they do? That same leadership did not drive Titus, a Greek, to be circumcised. They didn't do it. So nothing should be added to this gospel of grace. We're preaching the same gospel to the Jew as to the Gentile. Unity amongst brothers in Christ can only be found in Christ in the truth of the gospel. This gospel is one and the same. It's one gospel for every age, for every person, for the Israeli and for the American, for the Arab and for the Russian, for the Chinese, for the North Korean, and for the South Korean, it's the same gospel. It's one gospel. So no supplement is needed to be accepted by God. It's by 
grace alone. And then Paul continues, verse 4, But because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. Notice there's no verb. There's no verb in the Greek. That's why it's hard to translate it. But it seems that this is saying that not even these false brothers, they didn't even compel Titus to be circumcised as hard as they tried. He knew the gospel truth. Notice he says they sneaked or they spied it out. They had a motive of stealth. They wanted to ambush Paul and his companions from liberty. The truth of the gospel sets sinners free. Merits don't gain favor with God. It's all based on Jesus' work on the cross. And notice he says, in order to bring us into bondage. They they were trying to ambush them and bring them under slavery. The Judaizers wanted to add circumcision to the gospel. What do you add? What do we add to the gospel? Bible reading? Did you read your Bible this morning? If you didn't, prayer. Did you go to church? Are you a good person? Are you patriotic? You gotta be a Trump supporter. Are you nice to people? What do we add to the gospel? Do we add those things to the gospel? I'm gonna gain more favor from God because I am, because I just, because I did. No, no. You don't add a supplement to the gospel. It's by grace alone. Our works do nothing to add to this gospel. Nothing. Look at what Paul says in verse 5, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, not even a second away. In submit, he didn't humble himself under this lie for even a moment. When the truth of the gospel was at stake, Paul was adamant. So that the truth of the gospel might remain with you, he says, he did not want the Galatians to be in danger of a false gospel that would put them and change through keeping the law. No. And look at what he does here in verse six. But from those who were of high reputation, he's not disrespecting the three guns. Here's the issue. The the gospel and his ministry were subject to them because God shows no partiality. It was not subject to them, not subject to them. God shows no partiality, it says here. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. God doesn't favor one over another because of prestige, influence, money. Rank does not determine truth. And remember that word reputation is probably a name given by the Judaizers and and, and the three made no attempt, uh, James, Peter, John, made no attempt to require Paul to accommodate the gospel to the Judaizers' false claim. Made no attempt. There's no pressure to supplement it. That's Paul's point. Notice the contrary, verse seven. On the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter to the the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Look at what Paul is saying here. He showed that the Jerusalem leaders approved the same gospel as Paul. It's one gospel. They sustain, encourage, 
and confirmed what he preached. The gospel is one and the same. And look at that's why he says, I've actually worked for Peter and his apostle to the circumcised. I've actually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Peter was to the uncircumcised, excuse me, Paul was to the uncircumcised, Peter was sent to the circumcised. The Lord worked through both of them with one message of grace. Peter would go to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. It's not a different message, it's a different target group. So recapping again, God-given, grace-driven. How, Paul says, look, look how, Look at my former way of life. Look at the God changed me. Look at the revelation. So it doesn't need human approval because it's one gospel, meaning there's gospel unity. Verse nine and 10. And look at this word, verse nine. <clears throat> recognizing, not approving. It's different when you say, I recognize that. I recognize that spider that's on the wall right now no, there's no spider there. I'm just kidding. But it doesn't mean it just appeared there. You just didn't see it and I didn't see it, but now I see it, right? You recognize, you see it. It's always been there. You just didn't recognize it. Notice, he says, and recognizing the grace had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who are reputed to be at pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. The three big guns, I call them. They call them. They're the pillars, which I think the... Judaizers called them that. It was God's grace given to Paul. They had mutual respect and equality for God's calling upon Paul and his life. So, so there was no, there's no disunity among them. There was gospel unity. There is one gospel. James, the Lord's brother, Peter, and John. And not that the other apostles didn't mean anything, but designation given probably by the Judaizers. They falsely claim support by these three, bun- three guns. Oh, these, these guys support us. No. No, these three gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. What does that mean? In the ancient world, it was the widespread way of showing friendship. Not subjection, but fellowship. Partnership. We're together. We're unified. Uh, it was a sign of agreement. They trusted in and endorsed Paul, a, a confirmed solemn covenant. That's what that was. No changes to his message. No changes to his ministry. No changes to this gospel of grace. But gospel unity. You know, interesting. Interesting fact for you. You have the four men. James, the Lord's brother, Peter, John, and Paul. Out of the four, 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament was written by them. 21 out of the 27. Paul wrote 13. John wrote five. Peter wrote two, actually maybe a third one if you want to count Mark's gospel because that's from Peter's perspective. And James wrote one. Interesting. And then the last part, Paul says, they give us the right hand of fellowship that we to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised only to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. 
I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Paul, we know, we confirm, you're going to the Gentiles to preach the same gospel grace that we are. We're going to go to the circumcised. We're going to go to the Jews. And what they did request was that he remember the poor. Don't modify your message. And that, and that collection that he gave for the Christians in Jerusalem, that's why it became an important part for Paul because it was a great way for Gentile Christians to reach out to their Jewish brethren. Just as you have that opportunity even today, now, you get to pray for your Jewish brethren who are in Israel right now and pray for them. It helps to promote unity and love amongst Jews and Gentiles. It prevented misunderstandings. The very thing that was undermining the gospel in the churches of Galatia. We're all disciples of Christ. We're all Jesus' disciples. It's gospel unity. So this gospel news is divine. It is God-given and grace-driven. God is the one who gave this message and it's a message driven by grace alone. It's of God and by grace. Our merits count for nothing. Your good works do not sustain your faith. Your good works do not add to your faith. Our good works do not give an extra sugar coating a sugar topping to our faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the divine news. It's given by God. It's all by grace. So let's thank him for his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, there is one gospel that you're just God, we're sinners. Jesus died in the place of sinners. Repent and believe. Turn from sin and trust Christ. May this gospel message be the hallmark of your people, be the foundation, be that which they cling the foundation what's established in your church amongst your people help us be so easy to look to ourselves and to add to this gospel of grace which makes no sense because then it's not grace it's undeserved unmerited favor So help us, we pray as your people to cling to and to hold to and passionate in our clinging, passionate in our holding to this gospel of grace. And let us be people of grace. You change Paul. You can change us. Change us by your grace we'll be a people who display grace to each other and proclaim this grace to the world. Take a few moments, if you would, please. And we'll have a moment of silence, and then I'll just be playing a little bit of my guitar. Fill your mind 
with this gospel of grace, with the truth that we've seen from God's word. Let this be a time between you and the Lord to remind yourself of the truth, the news of the gospel, which unifies God's people together. There's one gospel. There's one great news. So fill your mind with scripture. Fill your mind with the gospel. Do that now, please.